Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel with us this week, which means Shorna Taylor is here. Shorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Shorna, welcome. Good morning. Morning, morning. And from the road, it's Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome, Robert. Good morning, everyone. So we will hear a little more later about why Robert is on the road, but we have a number of topics that we have to get to this week. We're going to talk about Walker a lot this week. A bit of his threatening of the DAs will be our first topic. We're also going to have Mary Botari from the Center for Media Democracy on to talk some more about some uh, some more information about the John Doe. We have a living wage here in Milwaukee that it looks like may go up to 15. We'll talk about that. We have a lot of healthcare news that Robert's going to tell us about. And of course, Jorna's got Paul Ryan watch. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to dive right in, Jorna. We have to talk about Scott Walker. He got to talk in last week again to the media, and that often doesn't work out well for him. <laughs> um, it's If it's not a highly paid, well-scripted message. Uh, but he threatened, essentially, John Chisholm and, quite frankly, any other DA that dare continue their work around the John Doe, that maybe they wouldn't get the resources they need to do things like fight crime and protect our communities. Jorno, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> let's all, you know, I wish that the podcast were actually um, recorded live and televised because you could see the shocked face we all have <laughs> that Scott Walker and his cronies are once again threatening, uh, Brad Schimmel being one of his cronies, threatening that there will be implications for any sort of investigation into any supposed, I mean, let's be very clear, these are supposed wrongdoings by the governor, right? I mean, this is a witch hunt, as we've heard. Um, but yeah, so last week, Thursday, uh, Scott Walker was in Beloit, and he was asked about John Chisholm's investigation into John Doe, and very clearly, very clearly, he said that there would be implications of staffing levels if the um, district attorney here in Milwaukee continued to look into the John Doe investigation. And uh, that is that is a blatant attack on his office and his ability and um, yet another example of Scott Walker trying to avert the law and be above any sort of wrongdoing that he clearly committed. I mean, come on. This has been going on for four years now. Yeah, it sounds a bit like uh, how a Donald Trump president might uh, interact with our, uh, our, our our system of uh, checks and balances. Sounds very Trumpian or hey, Putin-like. Scott Walker used all the words. He has yeah. the great words, the threatening words. Robert, I'm sure you have no thoughts about uh, these, <laughs> these fine comments from our governor. Translate the dog whistle, uh, particularly for those in our audience who don't believe in dog whistles on the right. So I will translate this as, aren't there plenty of young African-American men for you to spend your money prosecuting instead of an upstanding person like governor, like me, like your governor? I mean, that's essentially what this message is, that the governor is above the law. I mean, you even go there, even cloak and dagger, shows both arrogance, I think, and also terror, because the latest document dump, which we'll talk more about later, really shows that the the man created a a number of felonies, quite frankly, and uh, he's not yet prosecuted, not agreed to by the state Supreme Court, because it's partisan, and it's also conflicted, because it was supported by exactly the same group. Uh, But that's the situation here, and this is becoming reminiscent, and maybe we'll see if we get there or not, 
Uh, to Nixon, remember Nixon tried to fire the special prosecutor uh, investigating Watergate, Watergate? Absolutely. He ordered the Attorney General of the United States, Elliot Richardson, to fire him, which he refused, and, the, and he resigned. And the Deputy Attorney General refused and resigned. And then we got Robert Bork, who was next in line, who proceeded to fire the special prosecutor, a later famous for uh, a, a, an alleged liberal conspiracy to undermine his excellent candidacy for the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, Robert, this is your second Nixon drop uh, on the podcast in the last month in reference to Scott Walker. So uh, maybe it's becoming a lot more clearer. Uh, I I actually think the analogy is very interesting and apt. Well, and, you know, on top of that, after Walker said that he was going to, uh, you know, go after John Chisholm, essentially, shocker, um, Attorney General Schimmel, in his biennial budget request for um, the next upcoming budget, is uh, advocating for the creation of a state governing council of prosecutors for district attorneys. Um, I can't imagine how stacked that deck would <laughs> be. Looking forward to that group. <laughs> So we are really fortunate to have a special guest with us today, and that is Mary Botari, who is the Deputy Director at the Center for Media and Democracy. And we've had Mary on before to talk about very interesting things going on in our state. And in particular, we have Mary on today to talk more about John Doe. Mary, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So the reason we have you on is we've talked a lot about all the all the stuff that was leaked in the Guardian over the last couple of weeks, and you and your shop has really been at the forefront of leading a lot of that uh, investigative work, and you continue to spend, oh, I'm sure, endless amount of hours uh, going through it. And rumor has it you have some new stuff to let us know, let our listeners know about that may not be out there in the public yet. Why don't you give us some highlights? Uh, we just recently published at PRWatch.org a really nice walkthrough of all the Koch Brothers-related emails. And we see the Koch Brothers groups, uh, particularly Americans for Prosperity, pop up in these emails time and time again, working very closely uh, with the governor's top campaign staffer, whose name is R.J. Johnson, um, who is also, while he's sort of advising the governor, also advising a huge dark money group called Wisconsin Club for Growth. So they worked very closely with the Koch's Americans for Prosperity during the recall period. And we take, we zoom in on um, some ads that were, uh, that, were aired in the last two weeks of the governor's recall. So this is June of 2012. For two weeks, there was a $400,000 ad buy, which is almost total saturation in the state. And and you guys will remember it. It had really pic- beautiful pictures of farmers and fishermen going with strong Wisconsin accents going, well, you know, I don't think recall is the Wisconsin way. Um, and it appealed to Wisconsin nice. Um, and they were very powerful. They were very influential. They said, vote for Scott Walker at the end of them. And we peel back the layers of the onion to show that these ads are traced to a fellow named Sean Noble, who is the head of um, one of the Koch sort of shadowy dark money groups. And this is the kind of express advocacy ad and potential collusion over the express advocacy ad that uh, even the Wisconsin Supreme Court has said is a problem. So we think that that, those types of emails and that type of collusion still needs to be looked into. Why don't you talk a little more, Mary, I mean, this is very interesting about the role of R.J. Johnson here. 
So there's no separation, right? I mean, he's literally a strategist and leading the Walker campaign and leading the start money strategy exactly at the same time. And we, I know our listeners are sophisticated on these matters. You know, the, the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, when they did Citizens United, said there was no problem with corruption because there, because of, there wouldn't be coordination with the uh, issue ads. And as you're pointing out, these weren't even issue ads. These actually had the magic curtain. Yeah, so there was, the prosecutors are alleging that there was basically a fusion of the Walker campaign and Wisconsin Club for Growth. They're alleging that Wisconsin Club for Growth is operating as a subcommittee of the Walker campaign in violation of a very specific statute um, to that effect. Um, and, you know, so this isn't sort of entirely brand new. The same year that the Wisconsin State Supreme Court tossed this case and said, there's nothing to look at here, people. We don't have to look at ads. We don't have to look at the emails. We don't have to look at anything. That, you know, we're just tossing this case. That very same year, just a few months prior, the U.S. Department of Justice had prosecuted uh, a campaign operative out in the state of Virginia for exactly the same behavior. He was working for a congressman who was running for re-election, and he was effectively in control of all the independent expenditures. And so when I talked to campaign, and he was prosecuted, and he served some jail time, I believe. And so when I talked to experts and outside experts about the state of Wisconsin, like the Brennan Center for Justice and the Campaign Legal Center, they just sort of scratched their heads about the situation in Wisconsin. They're really baffled because they feel that this type of activity is regularly prosecuted in other states uh, and is, is clearly illegal and regularly prosecuted, and they're wondering what all the hoopla is about. Of course, the hoopla is about also the fact that four of our justices on the Wisconsin Supreme Court were elected with at least, maybe more, $10 million in expenditures by these same dark money groups. And by legalizing coordination, which they did in their decision, they are legalizing coordination for their future elections. So they have a very much of a vested interest in this issue, uh, and it's one of the their pluses and minuses to having elected Supreme Court justices. But the whole situation is turned upside down when you have dark money groups spending more money on the Supreme Court justices' campaigns and elections than they are themselves. It's really a, a terrible situation for the people of the state of Wisconsin because they can never be confident that their top justices are independent. So, Mary, can you let us know what 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 the status is of the U.S. Supreme Court taking this up? Because that's the last resort now that the state Supreme Court uh, has, did what it did. That's right. The only appeal to a state Supreme Court decision like this is the U.S. Supreme Court. So uh, prosecutors are appealing to the Supreme Court both on the issue of the fact that the Wisconsin court erred in its reading of the campaign finance law. They said that, that um, they totally misunderstood if putting it charitably, um, Wisconsin's campaign finance law. And they're also appealing on the, on the grounds that they as prosecutors deserve an independent forum. And these, um, these Supreme Court justices were not being independent, that they in fact owed their elections to some of these people. And we now know there's a new email in the stash that has Governor Walker saying to Karl Rove 
This is R.J. Johnson. I call him my Carl Rove. He helped flip the Supreme Court by by uh, getting rid of a sort of liberal incumbent. And in, he, in that instance, he is talking about um, Lewis Butler. He is talking about the 2008 Supreme Court race. It was a nasty, ugly, racist race about an African-American Supreme Court justice, Lewis Butler. Um, and it was won by who? Michael Gableman. And who is Michael Gableman? He is our current Supreme Court Justice who wrote the John Doe decision. So that email is really important because it says that R.J. Johnson helped elect or elected <laughs> um, Gableman. And we didn't know this. I mean, you know, we watch races very closely, and we didn't know that R.J. was widely credited for electing Gableman. And, and if he's widely credited for electing Gableman, Gableman knows that. And Gableman owes him quite a debt. And this is the type of situation in which justices regularly recuse themselves. And Gableman was asked to recuse along with Justice Prosser, and Gableman refused to recuse. We really appreciate all the time and energy that you put into going in and exposing a lot of this. And and I think it's mostly, it's critically important as the Supreme Court is deciding whether to take this up. I don't know, you know, obviously you're a journalist and, you know, maybe don't get into handicapping, but what is your sense? Do you, you know, you have a good sense. We uh, we all kind of know what the makeup of the Supreme Court is. Um, What's your sense? Do you think this is, this is going to get redressed there or do you think they'll take a pass? Court has always been in favor of disclosure, full disclosure. And this dark money shell game that happened in Wisconsin is atrocious. If it's allowed to continue in Wisconsin, we will never know who's bankrolling our politicians, and we'll never know um, who's buying favors from our politicians. So I'm hopeful that the Supreme Court will take it up, but at the same time, they they do get presented with a ton of cases. I hear thousands. They have to work their way through those cases, um, and they have to feel that this is a good fact situation for them. So I, I can't really uh, predict, but we'll all be uh, waiting for the word. Well, again, thanks a lot for joining us, and thanks for, for your hard work and everybody over uh, at the Center for Media and Democracy. Thank you for having us. So it was obviously great to have Mary on, and we look forward to having her on again, particularly if uh, we have more revelations. But Robert, uh, you actually unearthed or wrote about a new Scott Walker revelation, and that is talking about how the Walker administration has been deliberately rigging the health insurance system so that rates would uh, rise. What, what are you talking about here? This doesn't sound like anything Walker would be up to. Yeah, and our organizing director, Kevin Kane, actually noticed this. We were both watching uh, Ron Johnson's show hearing last week where he was trying to undermine the Affordable Care Act, and he had Governor Walker's Deputy Insurance Commissioner, J.P. Weisty, on and uh, to testify as his lead witness. And Weisty threw out that there were over 200,000 people in Wisconsin on transitional health plans. Now, it takes a health policy expert to know what a transitional health plan is and what that would mean. Uh, so, honestly, Matt and Jordan, did you know before what a transitional health plan was? Negative, Ghost Rider. Yeah, actually, uh, I think I have one for my motorcycle. 
And they're also called grandmothered plants, which sounds very, very uh, enduring, actually. Posey. You probably haven't heard of those either. My mother has one of those. <laughs> so, yes, there you go. So, no, it is not Medicare. So, what it was was a lot of health policy, uh, insurance policies were written during, between the time the Affordable Care Act passed and the time it actually went into full effect. And, of course, a lot of them didn't meet the standards of the Affordable Care Act, and they still were being sold under conditions of discrimination where insurance companies were perfectly free not to offer coverage to people with pre-existing conditions. And so, as a result, they were tended to be healthier people that the insurance companies would find highly profitable. Now, what happened once the ACA uh, became uh, effective, it went into effect, is, is that it was up to states whether to continue these plans or not. And, of course, the Walker administration kept them. And we, had no, we had no idea how many people were in them. We now know over 200,000 people in them. And a lot of other states, like Minnesota, banned them because here's the problem with them. First of all, they allow the insurance industry to profit off healthy people and keep healthy, unhealthy people in the new marketplace, which, of course, raises the rates in the new Affordable Correct marketplace. And so national research, and there's a lot of it on this, as it increases rates at least 10%. The second thing, of course, is that those lucky, healthy people who got the grandmother to transitional plans, or we call substandard lemon plans, uh, could have huge holes in the plan that would bankrupt them if they ever, or did either needed care, if they ever actually needed to use that. In other words, major illness, major injury. So they're bad for the people who have them. They're bad for people who used to be discriminated against who, who have health conditions uh, because they get higher rates because they're segregated in the Affordable Care Act marketplace. They don't have those healthier people in. Um, and, but they're great for the insurance industry, which can continue to figure out how to profit by insuring on healthy people, not healthy people only. And by the way, when you hear the insurance companies, the big ones bemoaning and talking about how they can't make profit in the Affordable Care Act marketplace and they're losing money, they're not telling you how much money they're making on the other side with these transitional plans, which they, of course, lobbied people like Governor Walker to keep. So this is just more of the same discrimination, more of the same profit model that repelled so many people in this country and caused the backlash that led to the affordable track in the first place. And, of course, what the Walker administration said of Johnson are on about is trying to use the rates in the Affordable Care Act, which they are trying, trying to raise, to be clear on this, uh, to try to get it repealed and go back to the days of discrimination. So that little remark by the deputy insurance commissioner tells us a whole lot about how effective they've been in trying to sabotage the Affordable Care Act here in Wisconsin. So, Robert, obviously, you know, it's not a shocker and we joke a lot that Walker would do this. Um, you are on tour actually today announcing something that will hopefully help deal with this. And a lot of Citizen Action members were involved in helping actually make this come about. But talk to us about these new low out-of-pocket health plans that have zero deductibles that will be that are going to be available uh, for folks who go on the exchanges to purchase and why these are so important. Sure, and I'm on tour, and Kevin Kane, our organizing director, is on tour, but this time we're going different places. So we have four press conferences or media news events today in different cities. And so what we were able to do is, and the organizing co-ops were heavily involved in this, 
was to figure out a way, even with Governor Walker trying to sabotage health care reform, uh, to get some relief to consumers in the short term. Now, we need, we're not going to say this is a panacea and solves all problems, but it's important and uh, involved both our co-op members and a number of Democratic state legislators. And what we did was the federal government came up with a, a something they call a standardized plan. Um, we're calling it a low out-of-pocket health plan because it, that's clear. That it actually explains what it is. Uh, but these are plans, uh, and they're model plans that insurance companies can just adopt, and they'll be similar across insurance companies, that have zero deductibles for a number of things, zero deductibles for primary care visits, uh, for generic drugs, preferred brand-name drugs, non-preferred brand-name drugs, even specialty drugs, um, and a number of other things, including substance use disorders and mental health issues, no deductible. And deductibles, as the listeners know, are what you have to pay all yourself, 100%, before the insurance kicks in. Now, there are still some out-of-pocket costs, but they're manageable. So for a predatory visit, it's 30 bucks. For a generic drug, it's 30 bucks. For a preferred brand-name drug, it's 50 bucks, just for example. So, and it's standard across plans. And so some states actually required uh, every insurance company to offer one of these plans so that there was one choice with each insurance provider. Of course, Wisconsin did not because the Walker administration is not about helping consumers. So what we did is took it upon ourselves, the Citizen Action, our organizing co-op uh, members, member owners, and a number of Democratic legislators to lobby insurance companies uh, to adopt these. And five have told us they have. Hopefully there are others, but the others were non-responsive, shall we say, to put it mildly, uh, despite repeated calls from Kevin Kane and, and many of our members and from some state legislators. Um, but the five were Common Ground Healthcare Co-op, Molina Healthcare, Network Healthcare, Group Health Cooperative, South Central Wisconsin, and Arise WPS. And, WPS. and just to give you an idea of how much is going to be saved without these deductibles, uh, Kevin Kane did an analysis and determined that it's going to save healthcare consumers just with these five companies $226 million next year. That is a lot of money to save consumers, and we could have saved even more consumers even more money if the Walker administration had wanted to. We, of course, know they don't want to because their only goal is to sabotage health care reform. So we still need to go forward further on costs. We need more reform. I don't want to say this solves all the problems, but it's really needed short-term relief, and it was done without the Walker administration, without the conservatives in the legislature, which is exciting. We need to find more ways to win without them. Well, as a consumer on the exchange, as I've referenced before, uh, I'm shocked to find that I've been getting screwed over by the Walker administration for years now. Um, you know, he's done so much for me in other parts of my life as well. Uh, so, you know, thank you, Robert and Kevin Kane, for all of your work and all the other healthcare advocates out there who are really fighting the good fight to make sure that there is actual affordable, accessible healthcare for people like me. We're not just talking about, you know, um, folks who are low income and that can't get access to health care. We're talking about people just like me. People who like pearls and horses. Pearls, cannot, horses, bicycles. <laughs> bicycles. Are on the exchange. <laughs> look, this, Robert, again, kudos to everyone who's been involved in this. A couple of things. One is what's really, really important is these zero deductibles. We are talking about the ability to have preventive health care. A lot of the kinds of things 
that if we don't get more access and get more people uh, access to affordable preventive health care, we're just we're stuck in hospitals and then we're really just, you know, uh, doing triage. And so these kinds of plans and making improvements in this area is absolutely critical. Uh, the other thing is this shows that even in what is one of the reddest of red states right now, where not only do we not have good things happening, we have deliberately bad things happening, right, in terms of uh, against consumers and, you know, working people, that you can still make progress, right? And you can still, if you come together, as these cooperative members have done, and strategically find points where we can make a difference, that you can, and you can still have victories. Uh, you're absolutely right. This is not, like, you know, this ain't a panacea, but it is a real serious uh, advancement that hopefully a number of our listeners and other consumers throughout the state will take advantage of uh, with these five health plans that are going to be offering them and hopefully more. So uh, shout out and uh, I really hope the media covers this and gets the word out. Um, okay, so Jorna, this Matt. is always my favorite part of the show and that is Paul Ryan Watch. He is always up to very interesting things and always twittering away like our buddy Donald Trump. What's going on this week with uh, Senior Paul Ryan? Well, like his friend, his orangeness, um, we do, and, you know, who used all the great words at the debate uh, this week. Was that a debate? I, I'm not sure what oh, that okay. was, but okay, not sorry. to digress. Um, Paul Ryan used the words this week, the great words, the best of words, like he has done before. And this week, he left the door open to never say never that he would run for president in 2020. No way. Really? He's interested in being president. I, uh, You know, I mean, he said that he didn't run this time around because of his kids and he wanted them to have a normal life. But me thinks this smacks a bit like he doth protest too much about, oh, I don't want to be the speaker. I mean, but like... I'll do it for the good of the cause. I don't want to be president, but I mean, I kind of do want to be president. So, uh, Paul, never say never, Ryan, running for president in 2020. Well, and you know, if I was going to run for president, one of the things I would do is make sure that the plans and proposals I have are really popular. Like, I'd want to repeal the Affordable Care Act. I'd want to take health care away from people. I'd want to give tax cuts more <laughs> to the rich and screw over the other 99%. 90, I'm sorry, 99.6%. It, yeah. It's good he could lay out a policy agenda that is to the right of any of our modern Republican presidents. <laughs> Uh, Except his orangeness. Yes. Well, Paul Ryan, you know, it, mu it must be difficult for somebody who loves the media and is unable to get access to it uh, because his orangeness has so dominated the, yeah. the all the oxygen. Robert? Well, not to scare our listeners, but I certainly hope he's not primarying his orangeness in 2020. Ouch. Well, Robert, that is a great segue to what I want to talk about, and that is elections and getting out and helping uh, uh, elect the kind of people that we need to change the progress of the state and the country. And so we talked last week that Citizen Action is doing um, some very important field canvassing work in both the Eau Claire area in Assembly District 68, which is Howard White, which makes up Altoona and uh, uh, Seymour and a number of small towns to the east, and also Oak Creek in South Milwaukee in Assembly District 21. We're doing some work where we're going in and doing what we're calling deep canvases, which is 
basically, if you break it down, it's longer conversations where we're really chatting with voters about the economy and really trying to figure out where folks are at and and tap into you know what they're feeling about the economy, but then really connect that to some some good candidates that we have running in the legislature who will actually address outsourcing, who will actually take a different look at how uh, we're treating working people. And so we these these conversations that we started last week have been extremely helpful in persuading independent voters who are not highly partisan. Uh, towards our candidates, towards progressive candidates in the assembly, Howard White and Jack Redman in particular, but also to talk about uh, Senator Feingold and his race against Johnson. And we know how the trade issue and the economy is central in that, but also uh, the presidential uh, ticket. So really, really want to encourage our listeners that are in uh, the Eau Claire and Milwaukee area to get involved this Saturday. We're doing them every Saturday. And if you have times you could go out at other times, we have an organizer in each area that could work with you to get you out on the doors at any time that's convenient. But we're going to be out this Saturday uh, in both Eau Claire. I believe we'll uh, uh, be meeting out of the Democratic uh, uh, Party offices there and in Milwaukee at Guy Costello's house. And if you're interested, which by the way is 1320 Manitowoc uh, Avenue in um, South Milwaukee. Um, but if you're interested, just get in touch with me. I'd be more than happy to get you details. Matt.Brusky, B-R-U-S-K-Y at citizenactionwi.org. Again, really want to challenge folks to get out. We can make a critical difference uh, in these elections. So we need to talk about living wages. So we have, we've had uh, conversations in the past on this podcast about the new living wage ordinance that passed in Eau Claire that will move Eau Claire and its uh, employees and folks who are contracted with the county uh, to pay up to $15 an hour uh, down the future. And big news this week here in Milwaukee County, uh, big news for two reasons. One is that we have 15 an hour living wage being pushed here in Milwaukee County, but by... Chris Abley, our, our, county, our county executive, and the county board seem to be in agreement here that they want to move towards $15 an hour. Robert, this is, this is big news. So just remember that three years ago, it would have been unimaginable. $15 an hour was seen as radical and impossible and unthinkable. So now we have very mainline Democrats moving it forward. So that and that really tells you something, and uh, it, I think once it passes Milwaukee County, and I think Milwaukee City is a good chance they'll pick it up uh, to, to understand that we can actually go county by county and city by city in this state, and this becomes literally the benchmark of whether or not you are a progressive Democrat or not, or and even many mainline Democrats will support it. It's very clear that if you raise people's wages, they have more might to spend in their, in their local communities, and that will generate economic activity and jobs. We need to go back to that truism that we used to understand this country and that we lost sight of, uh, thanks to the right wing. So we want to encourage our listeners, particularly those of you who live in Milwaukee County, get in touch with your county supervisor. Let them know that you support this. Obviously, get in touch with the county executive office. Obviously, thank them for getting out front on leading on this. But let's try to have an overwhelming vote. And hopefully this can lead to more counties continuing what Dane, Eau Claire, and Milwaukee have certainly led on. So with that, let's move 
to the weekend furlough. When you finish your door knocks and canvassing, Jorna, <laughs> where are you headed this week? It's fall, which means, is Biketoberfest going on this weekend? Not this weekend, okay. I don't think. It hasn't been announced yet, but I think it might be next weekend. Um, I'm actually moving this oh, weekend. Oh, where are the pearls and horse equipment being transferred to? <laughs> to uh, another place in Bayview. <laughs> so uh, I'll be spending a lot of time doing that really fun chore of packing and unpacking boxes. Yuck. I have not moved since 2001, and I'm uninterested in moving again. So you're offering help then, Matt? Uh, well, if someday. Uh, 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 you'll hear from my furlough. I'm a little busy, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, right. Robert, what are you doing? Okay. Obviously, I'm deep canvassing. And let me just tell everyone that that's a lot more fun than regular canvassing. And, uh, and so I hope you'll join us and, uh, both in Eau Claire and in Oak Creek and South Milwaukee. And then I don't know if we've got time, but my brother Ted and I would like to uh, sample some of the microbreweries around Bayview and Margaret Point that have been open lately that we have not gone to, um, and hopefully they have root beer for my nephew Delano, who may be joining us. Well, Robert, that sounds like fun. I want to remind our listeners, speaking of microbrews, that we'll be having our microbrew, which is now called the Brewfest Fundraiser, and that's going to be on November 17th, Thursday, November 17th, at Zach's Cafe here in Milwaukee. We're very excited about that. Again, November 17th, Thursday night, Zach's Cafe, I believe 5 to 8 p.m., so this weekend, uh, I will also be helping folks on the deep canvas. Then my son has a race at the Elkhorn, in Elkhorn at the Walworth County Fair. This is actually a, a, a race on limestone. It's a horse track. Um, and so we're very excited about it. We do not race those kinds of tracks very often. But if you are in the Walworth County area, this is a heck of a fun race. There are going to be a lot of very talented pros from around the Midwest and country that come to this race since it's uh, the last race of the season outdoors. Um, I do want to add one note. Um, it's been a very tough week uh, for me and other folks in the flat track community. We lost Charlotte Keynes this week. She's a pro rider from West Dallas. Uh, it's extremely tragic. She was racing in California and um, lost her life. Uh, it was, it's incredibly tragic. 20 years old, very talented racer. I just wanted to offer my condolences to the family um, and Jack Keynes, who's helped our family out tremendously uh, getting into racing, and I feel for his family this week. So we will be back racing this week, but with heavy hearts, but we do move forward, just like we move forward in the state with our political situation. So I, I just wanted to pass that on. I know some of my racing friends actually do listen to this podcast, but um, Charlotte, I hope you're uh, racing up, up, up in the sky. We'll, we'll miss you. With that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin Podcast.